0: 白いバットのジャングルに Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Test Magazine. Today on the show, we are very thrilled to have the wrestler, slash slash promoter, slash booker, slash trainer, Les Thatcher, on the show to talk, amongst other things, about the 2000 Brian Pillman Show. We just passed the 20th anniversary of that show, which features a very famous match between Chris Benoit and William Regal. We're going to talk about that match, the creation of the Pillman Shows, And possibly some great news uh, coming soon about all of those shows. We're also going to talk about Les's long career in the Knoxville territory, which spanned four or five different promotions, including the one you can hear Ron Fuller talk about on the Studcast currently. We're going to talk about an episode of Knoxville TV, which very recently made its debut on YouTube, thanks in part to Les. We're going to talk about the creation of the famous Knoxville television show, promoting their various other things over Les's almost 60 year career in the business. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. We just passed the anniversary of a very monumental wrestling show, and we thought what better way to commemorate it than to talk with one of the people behind it. So to talk about that show, as well as a very interesting television show that was just rediscovered online, I'm very happy to welcome to the show for the first time, but hopefully not the last the wrestler-slash-commentator-slash-promoter-slash-probably-many-other-things-that-I-don't-know, uh, <laughs> Les Thatcher. How's it going, Les?
1: I, I'm good, Mark. Slash-booker-slash-trainer. Slash <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I, I make a joke out. I've done everything in the wrestling business except get rich, and I've kind of given up on that at this point in life, Mark.
0: Yeah, we were we were talking about some stuff before, uh, before we started recording. I didn't mention this yet, but I was going to say that I think the first time I saw you on TV, and this one, of course, will, will, will date me in your long career, is I believe was when you were the TV announcer for Savoldi's uh, ICW, or IWCCW when it was, I think, on one of the stations I could pick up from Jersey. I guess would yeah. have been sometime in the mid to late '80s. I think was the first time that I saw was, you. Yeah,
1: that was uh, in the mid to late eight, uh, mid to late '80s that I did that for uh, for Mario. Yeah, absolutely. We had a hell of a crew of guys there, though. You know, that's a uh, very good Brody, Gary Hart, Kevin Sullivan, uh, the Sheep Herders, or the uh, whatever you want to call them, whatever name. Uh, Austin Idol. Good Lord, I'm trying to think of all the guys, but we had a, a, a quite a crew of guys and. Uh, that It didn't last all that long, but, uh, yeah, I know those tapes are still floating around.
0: Um, it's very interesting when you, like, sort of read the history of the promotion online. Like, it had such very distinct eras, I guess, probably depending on, like, uh, who was booking or who the crew were, that, it, you know, that at some time, you know, they used more North Indian guys and then you know there was a time like you said when Sullivan came in and brought a lot of guys up from Florida and then I think there was like another era after that so it's it's one of those sort of lost promotions maybe but as we were saying there's all this like almost everything probably from the 80s onward probably is on YouTube now that people could find if they looked hard enough for it
1: yeah they probably could yeah that stuff is out there somewhere I know I read some I, I where I had interviewed Mario and his and his dad and his brother Joe, who wrestled, and uh, we were talking about the family history and stuff. And that's floating around out that from that particular show, that's floating around out on YouTube somewhere.
0: Yeah, like I said, uh, if I can dig up some links, maybe we'll put that in the in the notes once uh, the show goes up. But uh, the main reason I wanted to talk to you today is I realized while doing some research for some other stuff that we had just passed the 20th anniversary of the third Brian Tillman Memorial show that uh, you helped put on uh, back when you ran Heartland Wrestling. And I guess that's now still probably best remembered for um, the Benoit Regal match, which at the time, you know, was like a strong match of the year candidate. And then unfortunately is one of those things that's now kind of, lost time
1: well let me can i interrupt you a minute yes. and tell you that i use that tape still as a teaching tool as does tom pritchard i know several others that that still do as well that man you know there are certain man we're talking about actual psychology and uh like two athletes in combat not a, a spot fest or a circus act and so in that respect that particular match still stands up today and will continue if we're talking about wrestling opposed to acrobatic exhibitions and uh yeah that uh dr tom and pritchard and i both when we talk about that match uh, you know he'll tommy will say i still get goosebumps because it was that you know and regal and i had a conversation back last this past december uh we were to bobby eaton um uh, appreciation show that they put on here actually in knoxville in December, and, and uh, Regal mentioned to me, he said, "You know, Les, oh, we it was we just did simple four or five moves." I said, "You did, but you did them at the right time and the right way. It's it's a it's a textbook. It's teach. It's it's two athletes in combat, which is what uh, professional wrestling is supposed to be. And I won't go off on my uh, cornet-like rant about everything else, but yeah." That is uh, that is what that particular year's show. I mean, but when you stop and think about it, Mark, there were so many. I mean, realize the top stars from ECW, WCW, and WWF all on that show, plus uh, some of the top uh, guys from HWA as well as o- Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was a developmental territory at the time for WWE, 15 matches, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So many things going on, on that show, and yet... Uh, the Regal Benoit match uh, stole it, man. It uh, it was head and shoulders above everything else.
0: Yeah, and I was I was very lucky to be there at the show, sitting in the bleachers, uh, a few rows a few rows behind uh, Meltzer, who had done uh, Wrestling Observer Live live from the show, and I'm I still think. I remember I wrote, in, you know, I wrote about the the show in the first issue of our magazine back in 2000, and yeah, that's one of the most memorable shows that I've ever been to. I mean, that match, beside like you said, all of the talent, and you know, that year we you also had the the fantasy camp the day before that right uh, people did, and I got to talk to some of the guys there and I still remember I it was I could tell it moved them that I was talking to Eddie and because you know they hadn't been in WWF that long after they had jumped and uh, he had come out he was coming out like in a in a low rider and stuff which he had nicknamed love machine and I told him I thought that was so cool that like you know he was helping to keep art bars memory alive and he seemed you know, genuinely touched that, you know, like I still remember it, Art, and that I made the connection, and, you know, he said, yeah, that's part of it, but, like, you could tell that that he was moved by me saying that.
1: Sure. And he was was a, well, (laughs) aren't most Latins passionate right, about it, almost everything, and he he most certainly was. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, and mentioning that, just how many of those guys are gone now that were at that show or on that show? You know, um, which is sad, too. Uh, but, yeah, those shows were, uh, as you mentioned, that was the third one. The first one was the night we did four 98, 99, 2000, 2001 was was the final show. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing about that is it just start out as a small thing. Uh, of course, uh, Brian is a Cincinnati boy, as am I. And we both born and raised uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, actually, but we never met until after he'd gotten into business. I know a lot of people used to think that since we're both in the same town, and we obviously knew each other. But we actually met at a, a mutual uh, friend of mine. I was helping train bodybuilders with at Perillo Performance. John Perillo has a, a gym in Cincinnati where he trains pro bodybuilders and, and uh, or amateurs as well. But anyway, that's where Brian and I, I was helping train bodybuilders there, and Brian, came in with a, 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 mutual friend. And that's how we were first introduced. But, uh, you know, after the accident, he, uh, and, and the ankle was fused, he started coming up to my gym some and trying to find a way to get back, you know, in uh, in gear and back, then, you know, and of course he was never going to be a hundred percent. And it was frustrating to watch a, a young guy, you know, uh, still that should be in his prime and he's just there's just going to be no way and and he was trying different type of boots and i know he and i had a conversation that he was trying to find ways to come off the top rope and i said man you've got to put your weight on the good ankle and if you keep doing it then the good ankle is going to be as bad as the bad ankle you know you're just you're just going to have to limit yourself to, to what you do so anyway uh you know and when he passed um we were thinking, you know, we should, let's do a little, a little, that, that was the key word then. Let's do a little show, uh, you know, to maybe help the family out and, and, and commemorate Ryan, you know, since he was a local boy and everything. So that's how the whole thing started. And uh, the, the first year was just, my God, it was so crazy. We didn't know how to, you know, we were selling tickets out of, out of our gym. And, of course, that drove us crazy. And uh, But we ended up, we used the, the Norwood Junior High School gym, which is Norwood High School. It's where Brian had gone to school. And everyone there was so cooperative. And we didn't know what we would draw, to be quite frank. And, uh, of course, the first year, uh, the stars that were there were Jericho, Benoit, Steve Austin, Sonny, Candido, Al Snow. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess that, that was pretty much the gist of of the big stars and of course steve didn't wrestle the main event was benoit and jericho and uh everyone else posed for pictures but the crazy thing was we like you say we had no idea what we would draw and it was drizzling rain that day and we filled that gym and turned away uh between three and four hundred people and uh it was we were amazed by by what we had done and uh we i think the first show we we had around 1300 people in the gym and it was I mean it was packed wall to wall and so uh, but but you know the crazy thing was we we had uh, Benoit and Jericho committed to show up and of course Austin and Sonny were coming uh, from WWE and of course Steve, uh, the Chris's were still with WCW at the time and you mentioned Meltzer I had uh in talking to Dave he said you know if you had some ECW, then you'd have all three of the big companies. And I thought, damn, he's right. And, of course, uh, I, I knew Chris Jericho from you know, working with him in Smokey. And uh, so I contacted him. I, I had not met Paul Heyman at the time. And so I said to Chris, I said, see if you can work something out. And Al, Al Snow was, just lives a couple hours from Cincinnati, or did at the time. Uh, by 75 in Lima, Ohio, and I said, "Al's working for you guys at ECW, so if you can come in with with uh, Tammy, then you know uh, Al, we can get Al, and we can go for it." So, and they did, and and I called <laughs> Meltzer's line and left a message and said, "We just hit the trifecta," so that's how it, it all fell it fell into place in that first show. And uh, wow, I remember going to my uh, going back to the gym that morning after I had made a mistake that year of of staying at my home after we got everybody into the hotel after the show. And then I got about two hours' sleep and I was back at the hotel, started hauling people back to the airport again and sitting in my office thinking, wow, we we did this, and it was could we do this again, you think? and that's that's how it all started. I mean, because, like you say, we were going to do a little show to commemorate Brian's life and career. And that was the, the end, would have been the end of it. But we decided to, to go with two, and two became three, and three became four. And at that point, I think we just pretty much you know, um, burned out uh, what we could get done. And, and, and here's the biggest thing, too, Mark. Every one of the big stars were giving us their days off for free. Uh, WCW, uh, WWF, ECW paid the airline t- tickets for them. We picked up the hotel and fed them on our end. And, um, but it was their day off. You know, it was a the day they could be home with their families. And, uh, well, like, for example, some of these guys were almost at every show. Some of the, three out of the four. Benoit would have been in the main event of all four had he had not had the neck surgery. Because after that show that you came to, and after the Benoit Regal match there before the day was over, uh, or before the next day was over, Ari had the uh, tagline for 2001 Benoit Regal, The Return, Filman 201. And that's what it would have been if Chris uh, had been able to make it. So, uh, you know, and all the volunteers that helped out, and and, uh, I'm just proud of all four of those events and, and how they transpired. And overall, uh, we turned over uh, right at $120,000 to the family over the four years.
0: That's great, and I was going to mention that some of that uh, the 2000 show that we're talking about, uh, people can see on YouTube. But luckily, you told me before we started recording that people might not now have to resort to a grainy copy on YouTube to see some of these film show matches.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Joe Jambrowski, and I, well, he came up with the idea. And uh, so anyway, we're, we're working currently on a four-disc set uh, to cover all four shows now. they won't be, because there is no complete of, of all four shows that I'm aware of. But this is everything we get together. There will be interviews of uh, some of the wrestlers that worked on those shows. Uh, there, uh, Brian Jr. And I, he's involved in this as well. Brian Jr. And I, uh, did a sit down and, you know, talked about his remembrances as a young man. And we've got some still photographs and, of him, uh, like playing around in the ring with Rey Mysterio and, and different stuff like that. But, uh, this gosh, should, I don't know how long it'll run, but four disc And it should, I'm hoping to have it. Out, we're hoping to have it out by the end of, uh, end of the summer. Anyway. Um, uh, and it will be available uh, at uh, joe jombrowskicom or uh, what's his site? I, don't know if I got it. Oh, prowrestlinglibrary.com. If you want to, you know, but you buy a disc or you stream it. And I'm re- I'm I'm really excited about it. Uh, joe does play-by-play as we go over each one of the matches, and I more or less fill in the historical stuff and the behind-the-scenes. Uh, you know, uh, things that he wouldn't be able to cover. You mentioned uh, Meltzer at that show. Mike Johnson from PW Insider was there as well. I mean, we were, uh, you know, that's the thing. We got so much coverage and people coming from all over the country for this thing. I just never had any idea that it would grow to to that magnitude, you know.
0: Yeah, and I was actually in town for the year before, but I got sick, I think, like, the day before or the day of the show and i ended up not being able to go so i'm glad that they will be that some of the stuff that i missed at the time i'll be able to see because if you look at the cart of the second year like i don't know what you may or may not put on there but the main event was conan and ray versus benoit and malenko you have mick foley and delo you have al snow and Road Dogg and Terry Blair Taylor. And
1: Steamboat were both there. They did not wrestle, but they were both there.
0: Yeah, and Terry Taylor wrestled Dr. Tom. So right, you know, there's all four shows have have great stuff that you know hopefully, you know, will make it onto the, the show and then people will be able to buy. That's that's great because I remember. Yeah, I I think I may have bought the video whenever it came out, and you know, it's. God knows somewhere still in our house, but, uh, you know, I was, I was watching some of the the YouTube stuff and I have to admit that I don't remember a lot of it. I mean, obviously I remember the Benoit Regal match and I remembered the main event with Eddie and D'Lo that turned into a makeshift tag with Perry Saturn and Malenko.
1: And we had some of the Cincinnati Reds there too. Danny Graves, a pitcher, uh, Sean Casey, the first baseman, Trying to think who else was
0: Demi- there on that damn Demi- show. I think Demetri Young was there, too.
1: Yes, he was. Dimitri was there. Demetri was a uh, big wrestling fan. Uh, Danny Graves, and he said, Can I walk like D-lo walks? I said, Sure, you probably do it better than he can do it. <laughs> Go ahead. But yeah, everybody, it was just, you know, it was just such an outpouring of, of great. And of course, the last two years, you mentioned this before we started recording, uh, we did the Mark Curtis fantasy camp. Uh, the last two years, which was the day before the Pillman, and uh, and of course guys like uh, Steamboat and uh, Malenko and, and those guys, so they were in. that were doing a fantasy camp with me as well as the the Pillman thing. They were in for two days on, on their own, uh, you know, dime except for transportation and food, and so yeah. After the four years, it was. Uh, and, and Mrs. Pillman had remarried at that point, and uh, so, you know, like I say, these guys were giving up their, their free time at home with their own families, and, and I think we'd gone over and above what we could have asked them, so, you know, the four, uh, fourth show was the final one.
0: That's cool, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's really good news, and hopefully whenever it comes out, maybe we'll have you back on the show, and maybe we can get Brian on the show to, to talk about it some more.
1: Sure, sure. If we can do that, we'd be more than happy to. Uh,
0: and speaking to. speaking of of footage and lost footage and things like that, um, as we are recording, something very cool showed up unexpectedly uh, on on YouTube this week that I later found out was thanks to you. In that, as you mentioned, Joe Dombrowski posted a full and near pristine. Uh, episode of southeastern championship wrestling from 1978 and i believe there is a collective uh, happiness shall we say among all of us old school fans when we (laughs) saw this because uh, as people who listen to ron fuller's podcast know there is not a lot of southeastern footage especially from the the knoxville era there's you know, drips and drabs that you can find online, but certainly this is one of the very few complete episodes and I immediately said, This looks like it came from somebody's master, and then I was told Yes it I was like they said, Oh, it came from Les and I'm like, Well that makes sense then. So Well actually that that I don't know who gave me that copy, Mark, but the the
1: tape after I sat and watched it, and I realized somebody in Hazard, Kentucky, at the TV station there had taken a copy that copy off of the map. See, back then, we bicycled the tape, right? And so the commercials on there are for Hazard. So that 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 show actually was taped uh, in Knoxville the week before the uh, week or two weeks, maybe even before it aired in Hazard. But then you'll see the the dark spots that rolled in there. Those are for the uh, commercials that the Hazard Station would have rolled in at that point in time. So that's why it's so clear. It's not off of somebody's TV set or a third or fourth, you know, generation dub. And that's I, I wasn't sure either when I saw the quality, because like you're saying, you know, some of them are, are such bad quality. And I thought, damn, where? And then I figured that it was somebody uh, had taken the master at the Hazard Station and dubbed a copy. And so that's. How, who, where, why? I don't, Half that stuff, I don't know where I got my hands on it. But, you know, uh, we were going to, when I was selling the house in Ohio and getting ready to move here to, to Knoxville, I was going through all this stuff, and I came across, well, I've got uh, Joe put up on Facebook. We came across a uh, one-hour interview with Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk that I did here in 1994, the day after uh, the Night of Legends, Smoky Mountain Night of Legends, and it's never been edited. It's never even seen the light of day until uh, Joe posted it on my Facebook, and then I put it on as, as some of the pages of the people I deal with there. Uh, but it's, it's completely unedited. But it, uh, I thought, Lord, we're coming up with all kinds of crazy stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, well, that – but, yeah, the Southeastern, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of footage out there, bits and pieces, but most of it is, is pretty grainy or, you know, uh, hard to, hard to figure out.
0: I should mention this is this is doubly timing because uh, as we're, we're recording this Wednesday night and just on today's episode of the Studcast, one of the things that Ron talked about was how TV worked back in that era and talked about bicycling tapes and you know mentioned one of the reasons that that uh, there isn't much footage is just how much tape the cost tape at cost. the I believe he. I think he said <laughs> yes. I think he said in today's money, one of those tapes would have been around a thousand dollars. So you can just see why wrestling promoters would not want to spend a thousand dollars a week on to keep a tape library that at the time nobody figured that was a, there was a future I have
1: already my my dear friend Ronald for that too, because back then I was saying we need to save some of it because we did a, we did some. Uh, Human interest pieces, Tony on Tony Charles, on Garvin, on the Stomper, uh, some of that stuff's floating around out there on YouTube as well. Uh, that we, you know, and but he's right. Uh, the big two, well, I'm trying to think. Cassettes first came in either in the early 70s or the mid 70s. At one point, uh, TBS uh, Turner would not allow cassette, uh, cassettes to be used. On air because the first cassettes just weren't as you know uh, clear and and uh, sharp as they were once they you know were better developed and uh, of course and like I say back then you know the two inch tapes were probably 120 550 bucks a piece and so they were dubbed over and over until <laughs> until they just wore out and, and were replaced but uh, yeah that's the main reason but I I've aggravated my dear friend Ronald about that too. And, uh, yeah, I've been on the stud cast a lot. And, I, in fact, we were t- talking a while back, and, and uh, I had him on uh, the Observer show that uh, Vic Sosa and I do, uh, Wrestling Weekly, on, on uh, Meltzer's Observer website. And uh, he said, somebody said to me, you know, Ron mentions uh, you in conjunction with Southeast. And I said, the hell, he better mention me. <laughs> <laughs> that that tv show was my was my brainchild child my my uh uh epiphany or whatever but uh yeah we had you know what he and i are tight and i pick i'm picking at him now but uh that was what we did here with southeastern wrestling between 1974 and 1979 um i'm just so proud of the whole situation we We came up with innovative things on television which had not been done on wrestling television in the past and is currently now just standardized stuff that we did for the first time. And uh, actually, during that period, uh, this was the hottest small NWA territory in the world, period, end story. Uh, We were doing great business here for a long time.
0: Yeah, one of the things I was going to ask about... Uh, About that episode that happened to show I I jokingly said this on Twitter that I would have to ask you or Ron about before we knew we actually ruined the podcast was was the 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 cartoon opening to the personality profile, which I just thought was was hilarious, especially with uh, using Disco Inferno as the as the bed for it. But I mean, it, it's so sort of wonderfully 70s. This cartoon. Of... Thank you.
1: I meant it to be. <laughs> that was that was my brainchild. Uh, the the animation for the show opening and for the personality profile uh, were were my idea, and Ron uh, concurred. I just thought it was it was a difference for the time, and it was classier. And the personality profile. The whole idea with that is basically what that little animated opening tells you. It was about the wrestler's background, uh, hobbies, family, schooling. Uh, that was something that everybody told me a lot of the, the older time, old timers, I'm an old timer now, but, but back then they said, you can't do a low key pre-taped five minute segment in the middle of your show without losing your momentum. I said, well, we're going to try. And we did. And a lot of people started copying it. Uh, but it was uh, it worked, you know, and um, yeah, I'm real proud of those shows and what we did. Well, you know, somebody said it in the the, the episode you're talking about that Joe had put up on on uh, Facebook and that. Um, how did you, I didn't realize you could stuff so much in it in a in an hour. I said, wasn't well, an hour? It's fifty eight minutes and thirty seconds is all we had. But yes, it was. Uh, was a lot of content, and and it flowed, and it was tight, and uh, we and, and the director, I still uh, Bill Kincaid uh, was the genius behind the scenes on uh, on the, on the uh, board, and Bill actually when he first started with when Ron and, when we went to Channel 10, and Bill was 18 or 19 years old, it was his first directing. Uh, as I mean, he'd worked the board with other people, but this is where he, he was the director for Southeastern Championship Wrestling. And we're still friends. We just had lunch uh, here a, a while back, and, uh, he, you know, the creativity was part of him as well. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we blew a lot of people away with uh, that show and the, the innovations and, uh, you know, uh, I think Ron and I are both extremely proud of it.
0: It's funny you mentioned Bill Kincaid because I know he's posted a couple times on Ron's Facebook page when he's, like, uh, for uh, promoting episodes of the Studcast, and he commented on something that Ron had said a couple weeks ago. And he posted, and I saw that, that he posted, and I was like, I said, if there's anybody that Ron has not had on the podcast yet that I would love to hear from is, the, <laughs> is, is, is Bill, cause he directed all this, especially since he was, like you said, very young and, and a novice. And I could just imagine. And again, you know, something I would love to hear about is again, especially since we're talking about the, the mid seventies is having an 18 year old guy directing your show. And I would assume on a level also having to uh, keep kayfabe with the TV studio. Yes, I mean,
1: he was not, We did not smarten him up till he had been with us maybe a couple years. Uh, and, and you figure by that time he's maybe you know kind of figuring a little bit of it out and just keeping his mouth shut. But when we were t- when we first started shooting film at the Coliseum here, or at Show Park, or wherever we happen to be running in town. Um, you know, I would sit, uh, we shooting 16 millimeter film and Bill would come out to shoot the film and I would sit with him because I knew that, you know, what the angle was in the, in the match that we needed. And, uh, of course, I'd see it, I'm starting to bill for it. And I'd say, well, let's pick up a little footage here, Bill, just, you know, maybe we can use this knowing what was coming. Of course he didn't. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, you know, and, and then, like I say, it was probably, probably two years in to the run there uh, that we sat down and, and actually smart and build up, you know, to, to what was going on. But yeah, he was, well, but you know, that's it, Mark. It's, you know, it's, it's everybody's a piece of the puzzle. You know, I don't care uh, whether it's WWE or Southeastern wrestling or Smoky Mountain or, or what, you know, if it's going to be successful, it's, you know, on your, as far as television, it's your directors, your pro- producers, your bookers, your wrestlers, Everybody is uh, part of the puzzle, and when it all comes together, it's beautiful. And when it doesn't, well, you know, <laughs> you know the answer to that too, I guess.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned the success of the television show, and again, part of that is the the fact that you know Knoxville in southeastern was like this hidden gem that that I think we're only really learning about, given how a the secret of the business used to be and you know, coupled with that, how Ron and the Fullers, you know, didn't really court publicity the way the way other promotions did. I mean, people always, you know, cite how great the Channel 5 ratings were in Memphis for all of this time when it was on Saturday morning. And yet, you know, now we're kind of learning that the ratings that you guys had in Knoxville were, was were damn about, just as good. Just as good, or maybe even better, and and when you consider that they're running in the morning, and you guys are running at two o'clock in the afternoon in Knoxville, probably against at least one other college football game. Well, yeah, let me makes... let me give
1: you, let me brag a little bit here about that. Uh, I forget what year it was. For those who don't know, the University of Tennessee is based in Knoxville, so you know we live we. I don't live and breathe orange in this uh, rocky top, but everybody else here does. But anyway, um, for the first time in and forever, maybe, I don't know, but anyway, the Tennessee Vols were going to South Bend, Indiana, to play Notre Dame. And Channel 26 here, that was the ABC affiliate, was sending their uh, mobile unit to, to uh Transfer, bring it back live to Knoxville, to their station, okay, on Saturday afternoon. Tennessee Vols and Notre Dame's Fighting Irish. Big deal, especially in this town, okay? And so they're on, it's Saturday afternoon, so they oppose us in our hour, which is 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And the very best, Mark, that they could do in that hour was tie us, which to us was like winning. In Knoxville, right? So, uh, yeah, a very, we're proud of it. Well, you know, when we first started on, on that, we had to talk about pieces of the puzzle. Uh, the program director, Pete Finley, there, the sales manager, Lynn Lepper, they were in our corner from the get go, and they were a big part of that puzzle, too, uh, because the station benefited. When we first started there, uh, the sales department was, I think, was selling 30 second spots on Southeastern Wrestling at 25 bucks a pop for 30 seconds. Uh, probably two years in, probably around the time we're talking about this, uh, you know, Tennessee Vols-Notre uh, Dame game, uh, they were selling it for $250, a 30-second spot, and had two national uh, accounts. So that's how strong our, our show had become over that two-year period.
0: Well, it's funny. I had I had asked Ron this a while ago, and I said, Given the success that you guys had, especially once you got to the point of selling out the Coliseum, I said, "Did you guys ever talk about running a show at Nealon Stadium?" And he's like, "No, it probably was. You know, it wasn't worth the money, and no. you know, whatever, whatever." But it's just funny that, as hot as it sounds like, I mean, that would probably been been interesting to see how you guys, how full you probably could have gotten that stadium you know like probably well it
1: might have yeah but of course you realize uh i don't know that we we set a record in the coliseum here uh which had been held by the russian hockey team back in the 50s at some time when they i don't know if it was a college hockey team here or a a local uh, semi-pro or whatever but the russian hockey team was traveling through the united states you know playing exhibition games and at one point they held uh, the record, a tennis record at the Knoxville Coliseum. And um, so we broke that record. I forget what the card was right off the top of my head. And then, actually, wrestling is, is so big in this. Uh, Chih- the amphitheater in Chilhaue Park is where we used to run outdoors in the summer. And going back to before Southeastern, uh, when John Kazana uh, was a promoter here, uh, my part and tag team partner, Whitey Caldwell and I, and the Wright brothers, Don and Ron, were the heels. Uh, we hold the attendance record at uh, the amphitheater in Chihuahua Park. Uh, now, uh, there's other things that beat us money-wise because obviously ticket prices increase you know, as, as the year go on. But nobody's outdrawn us there. Uh, so wrestling had the record in the Coliseum and out at, at the amphitheater in Chihuahua Park.
0: But I think it's just great the way that, you know, people have been able to rediscover this territory. Like we said, you know, that, you know, the Fullers have always not necessarily been, you know, Ron didn't want the magazines there and things like that. And and as we hear some of these stories, you wonder, you know, sort of what people outside Knoxville may have missed, you know, like if, you know, if the after mags, you know, had covered – you know, well, this. we got some co- we got some coverage, and uh,
1: Keatser, You know who Norm Keizer is? Yeah. Okay, Norm, because I traded out. I I wrote a column for Norm uh, in return for him giving us coverage, and I know that after Bill covered here because uh, Danny Hodge and I wrestled. This was when uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Kenny Mantell had the uh, NWA World Junior Heavyweight title. And Danny Hodge and I wrestled here on one of the Coliseum cards to see who got a shot at Mantell. And uh, the reason I remember, because we went an hour through, we went Broadway, a draw, uh, Broadway, that's an old term, nobody remembers but me. Anyway, we went to a draw, and then five-minute overtime, no winner, another five-minute overtime, no winner, and we flipped a coin, and Danny won the toss. But uh, Apter did a, a whole photo layout and story about that particular match in uh, one of his magazines. I know for a fact because I've got uh, one of the pictures from, from that magazine. Uh, so we got coverage. Ronald maybe didn't know it, but I got his coverage. But we, you know, we did a lot with the community here during that time, too. Uh, We played a charity basketball game for the Knoxville Association for the Blind. We had former uh, Vol football players who had played in the NFL uh, in this game. We had uh, former Vol basketball players who had played in the ABA and the NBA. Uh, We had the former mayor and the current mayor all at one time, Johnny Majors, who just passed away, who was a big star here in Vol football but also was the head coach at that time, and uh, Big John Tate, who was the WBA heavyweight boxing champion, and um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody, but, yeah, we, we did uh, a lot of charity work here. Um, the first charity softball game we played at the old Bill Myers Stadium, where the, the minor league baseball team played here at the time, uh, was uh, wrestlers against the Channel 10 celebrities. We drew a 1,000 people to that freaking softball game. And the, the general manager of the Knox Sox, they were the uh, Chicago White Sox uh, Double A minor league team at the time, uh, he he said he said, damn! I said I can't draw that many people for a baseball game. He said maybe you guys come every week. We enjoy that. Our concessions could use the work, but that's how over we were here, you know. And um, that was something that once I got involved in offices, any uh, whether it was here Atlanta, Charlotte, or wherever, um, I realized the value. You're talking about the kayfabe time. But you know, I always looked at things like this. If we got into the community, I mean, got into being a part of the community, and, and things like I just mentioned, you know, charity basketball or football, baseball games, or softball games, whatever. Uh, you know, being we we did uh, the Jerry Lewis Telethon here uh, several, you know, every year that we were on Channel 10. Um, they can't. They can look down their nose at you, privately, but publicly they can't do anything but. But say good things about you, and that was, you know, to me, in, in trying to, you know, keep wrestling uh, at, a, at a, you know, at a high level in terms of uh, public sentiment. So that was something that I always shot for when I was involved in the offices, and we did a lot of that here. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, this territory is a shame when the nonsense went down, and we we won't spend any time on that. I'm i've talked about that so much in my life i would carry more but when all it happened during the war here was it killed the territory for everybody period and that's a shame because you know you listen to the studcast and you know ronald had bought the mobile end. and the whole idea was that we were going to keep two crews and you could switch guys back and forth if if somebody was wearing out their welcome here in knoxville We'd ship them down to uh, Mobile, and they could work that into the territory. we bring somebody else in up here, you know. Uh, that was the whole idea, and it would have uh, worked really well. But the best laid plans are mice
0: and men, right? Well, the interesting thing was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, wor- you worked for a promotion in Knoxville for, I think, four or five different promotions am i right that you worked for kazana yeah and for, for i worked for
1: john because well i worked for kazana then i then ron bought kazana out then ron sold to barnett and barnett sold to crockett flair and, and mulligan and so i worked and then there was a local guy here who owned a throwaway newspaper and had uh, uh p- partnerships in a couple of nightclubs and stuff he tried to run some wrestling here briefly uh and uh Kevin Sullivan and I produced his television and booked his shows for him but it didn't last very long so I guess you could claim them too and then of course when Cornette came in and started Smokey so yeah I'm I I guess I'm uh, as far as being above ground well maybe Donnie Wright is still alive uh but the, the first time I wrestled in Knoxville was in 1968 and uh so Cornet calls me the Godfather of Knoxville wrestling. I'm hardly that, but um, I, you know, I, I have a lot of good memories here from from being as a as a top baby face here, and as well as you know, uh, leading the charge with as a commentator on the TV and and doing the PR work. So, well,
0: it's just funny because so, I'm not I'm not sure off the top of my head if there's ever been a territory that had so many different promotions and let alone having one person who worked for almost all of them you know because you figure you know once the territory started they were mostly owned by the same company or two yeah. until until they you know they collapsed or vince bought them in the mid to late 80s you know like maybe right like dallas might be the only thing off the top of my head i could think of where you know when it went through so many different owners Once, once you get past the glory period of the Von Erichs,
1: yeah. Well, how I ended up, uh, just as it were. I mean, uh, when I first came in here, Kazana had no television in '68, uh, but he 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 liked the idea of putting me and Whitey together, and it clicked with the rights. But the crazy thing was, he got television initially in early uh, right at the beginning of '69. So Whitey and I were the first two baby faces hot on his TV, and the Wright brothers were the first two heels. So uh, we had a hell of a run, almost two years. Uh, I mean, not every every week that the four of us were on top, but but our feuds and changing the tag belts and stuff back and forth lasted almost two years. And um, so when Ron bought it, he knew my you know my history here, but also. That I was involved, you know. Once I left Florida, you know, I I was well. Shouldn't say that. I first got involved in television uh, in the Maritimes in 1970 for my friend Rudy Kay. And uh, but then Ron knew, you know, my background in TV, and and I was doing TV with helping with, you know, with the Crockett's and stuff, and uh, in Atlanta. And said, well, he, he was coming into Atlanta out of Florida in '73, '74 early 74, when I was there uh, sharing the microphone with Gordon during the War of Atlanta. So he knew my background in television. And when he called me, he said, I bought Knoxville Territory. I don't know anything about television. I want you to come in and build me a TV uh, show. You've got Carte Blanche. Just as long as it makes sense. I said, you're on. So, and that's how we got started. And then, of course, when Barnett came... the name Thatcher came from Jim Barnett um, in 1962. He tagged me with Thatcher. My real last name is Malady. It's Irish. And most people mispronounce the hell out of him. Malady, Malady, Malady. I mean, I just answered anything. It starts with a name anymore. But uh, so when I first went to work for Barnett in 62, they were using my real last name. And uh, Les Ruffin, who was uh, one of Jim's uh, lieutenants, Came in a dressing room. I'd been with him, I guess, maybe two months at the time. And Les came in and said, The old man's tired of everybody butchering your last name. He wants to call you Les Thatcher. Is that okay? I said, It works for me. <laughs> and so at that point, I just wanted to wrestle, Mark. I didn't care what they called me. So uh, anyway, so when he bought. Uh, uh, Ron out. Ron told him. He said, "I, uh, well, Jim. When I went in to meet with Jim, R- Jim told me. He said, Ron says I can't run the territory without you, and I said, well, I think you probably can.' <laughs> but I was, you know, I liked it here and everything. So, and I'd worked with Jim before, and so it was fine until one of Jim's lieutenants who uh, had his nose buried in the old man's rear end. It was that was more important to him than actually business. He and I bumped heads. So." Uh, I called Ronald and I said, hey, let me, can I, yeah, come on. And so I worked, I went down to Mobile for a while, worked with Charlie Platt uh, doing the TV. You've heard, you've heard Charlie on, on Ron's show, right? Yes. Okay. Charlie and I laugh. He's, Charlie said, Ron won't put us on there together. We know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I said, I know. But anyway, I was down to work with Charlie and so one day my phone rings, and is call, Rick calls me, and he said, Hey, uh, BJ and uh, Jimmy Crockett and I, just we just bought uh, Knoxville from Barnett. And uh, Channel 10 said they would be happy to keep us on the air. One of the things they would like is you come back and handle the program because they have a good history with you and work well with you. I said, Make me an offer. So that's how I came back. Yeah, so I always it seems like I'm I'm a bad penny. I always end up in Knoxville, Tennessee for some reason.
0: That's funny, and uh to plug one of our old shows, if people want to hear more about Knoxville, uh Bo James was on a couple episodes ago and spoke, you know, longingly and lovingly about Ron and Don and Whitey. So if people are Are interested about that era that you were just talking about? They can go. Well, you tell if you
1: talk that damn Bo again. Tell me if he didn't enter my name in that mix, then I'm gonna bury my foot in his fat rear end the next time I see him. No, yeah, Bo. Bo's his. He's a history uh, freak about all this stuff. I know.
0: Les, I want to thank you very much uh, for your time tonight to talk about this stuff. And like I said, I I hope to have you back again. I have a whole list of things that. I knew we weren't going to get to that. That hopefully, for say, so you briefly mentioned it, but uh, one of the guys for that writes for us did want me to, to ask you about the maritimes because I know you've 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 written about that online, and I do want to want to talk about that stuff and some of the other people that you've worked with over the years. I know, uh, like I said, my friend Matt, my friend Matt wanted me to ask you about Les Thornton, among other people. Oh, yeah. So maybe. And, and The Stopper and a whole bunch of other people that hopefully we'll get to uh, when we have you back on next time. Sure, sure. That'll be fine, Mark. be more than happy to do it. Uh, and like you said, you, you, we're going to have this, this uh, DVD set coming out in the near future. But, of course, even though I imagine you've been on a break for a little while due to everything that's going on, um, you are still a trainer, and you have, you have at least one event coming up in the near future.
1: Yeah. Uh, actually, we're right here in Knoxville at the uh, JP Wrestling Academy. That's uh, Jacobs, Pritchard, uh, Dr. Tom, and, and Glenn Jacobs, uh, Kane's place. Uh, yeah, Tom, myself, and Rudy, uh, Rudy Gonzalez. Uh, you got actually almost 140 years of experience between the three of us. And uh, we've all trained some, you know, Christ, it's a who's who's list of, of current people, uh, main people, you know, major people in the business. Uh, we're doing a two-day training camp, uh, eight hours a day, Saturday and Sunday, August the 8th and 9th. It's uh, 99 bucks, and uh, if you're interested in, uh, we're holding, we're going to hold it down to 30 and we're about halfway there right now, but if you'd like to pre-register, it's 99 bucks for the weekend. And, uh, you go, uh, JP wrestling Academy. Gmail, uh, at gmail.com. And Dr. Tom will send you out the information. Or if you want to pre-register, you can do that with him there. And that's, uh, August, uh, 8th and 9th at, uh, the, uh, Jacobs Pritchard, uh, wrestling Academy here in Knoxville. And, uh, and I'm, I'm available for bookings to do weekend training camps or one-day seminars if that interests you. You can reach me, thatcher 28 at uh, gmail.com or les at epwt.com, and I can send folks out the information for that.
0: That's great. Um, thanks again, Les, and like I said, I'd like to have you back, well, anytime. But, you know, once this set com- comes out, I'd love to have you back on to talk about that and, like I said, Some of the other stuff, it's like you've had such a long and varied career that I knew that we wouldn't even scratch the surface in one episode.
1: Yeah, I talk about a lot of my uh, actually July the 4th, which is what two two weeks away, I guess, or roughly two weeks away. That will be the 60th anniversary of my first wrestling match in Blue Hills, Maine in 1960. So, yeah, I've been around a day or two.
0: That's great. Thanks. Thanks again, Les, for for your time tonight. Uh, we'll hope to have you back in the future. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.